0: People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. It is good to be back together, isn't it? Amen. And uh, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the enthusiasm of Brother Carl Brown is contagious, isn't it? <laughs> and we love it, Carl, we love it. We love the, love the enthusiasm you bring and the dedication you have to our Lord and our God. We just love it and we love to be together. Amen. And we'll celebrate your birthday all month. <laughs> I know you won't let us forget that. (laughs) This text tells us about a class of individuals that Jesus talks about as he does no other class. This class of individuals have uh, approval from Jesus as no other class of individuals do. He actually approves of the little children. When he was asked, and he's, several times he mentions little children, and uh, he's, he's talking about two, two things that involve the small child. One is the disposition of the child and the character of the child, and the other is the nature of his kingdom that appeals to the child. Now, on another occasion, he was asked by his disciples, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, he called a little child and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you become converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and who shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. He's saying quite a bit about a child, isn't he? He's not talking about an infant. He's talking about a little child, a small child, maybe three or four, or five, six, or seven years old. Somewhere in that area. Because he's able to take one into his lap on one other occasion. And he, he beckons some of them to come to him. So it's not an infant in arms. It's a, it's a small child. When Nicodemus came to him and said, Master, we know that you are Come from God because no man can do these things that you do except God be with him. And Jesus replied and said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was stunned. He said, how can we get back in our mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And he said, you're a teacher in Israel. Why didn't you know these things? Why don't you know something about a child... And the disposition of a child. Now, as you go through the New Testament, you'll find some occasions when, as a matter of fact, the writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said something about children, the same way Jesus did. So, in First Peter chapter two at verse one, Peter said, "Lay aside all malice." He said, "Quit, quit being." Mean and evil. Lay aside all malice and all guile. Don't don't try to trick people. And all hypocrisy. Don't try to be something you're not. And all envy. Don't be jealous. And all evil speaking. So he's saying lay all this aside. And he says, as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow thereby. Obviously, when you become a Christian, you have to revert back to some sort of a state of innocence, don't you? And Jesus is saying, as Peter is, be like a small child. And he's saying, here are the qualities about a child that recommend them to me. What recommends a small child to Jesus? Lack of malice lack of guile, lack of hypocrisy, and lack of pride. These are qualities a child has that appeal to Jesus and that make the child appeal to Him. Children are without sin. Now that's, that's, a, that's quite an issue among a lot of religious individuals. A lot of people that believe the Bible have missed the point on this. As a matter of fact, they believe that children are born in sin and are totally depraved. They inherit the burden of the sin of Adam. The stain of Adam's sin is on their soul and they're lost. And yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 48, He said, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And he's talking about a little guy. He's talking about a small child. Whosoever receives this little child, he brought him... That's the one I was talking about. brought him and and called him forward. Whosoever receives this little child in my name receives me. He that receives me... Now listen. He's saying, when you receive a small child, you receive me. If a small child is stained with sin... Then he's saying, "I'm stained with sin, and so is my father." He said, "Whoever sees this little child receives me. Whoever, whoever receives me receives him that sent me." So we we need to really clear the air. And when we clear the air, we're thinking about well, that the child is godless, the child is sinless. Now we know that. That as children grow, they can become tainted with evil. In Psalms 51, David is talking about his state and situation on this earth because he had he had just committed adultery with with Bathsheba, and in addition to that, he had committed murder because he had Uriah the Hittite killed in battle, no less honorable place. And instead of being an honorable loss in battle, Uriah was killed sent to the front and abandoned by his men on David's orders. And David, in his agony, because he had been caught, Nathan the prophet revealed it to him, that he had been caught and God knew what he did, David fell into a state of despondency mm-hmm. and a state of trying to rid himself of the guilt of what he had done. And he actually admitted he said, I was," He said, I was born in sin. And in iniquity was I conceived. Now he's not saying he was born a sinner. And that's what people will take that text to mean. They'll say, well David said he was born in sin. Well David wasn't born in sin. That's right. In the sense that he was a sinner when he was born. David was born into a world full of sin. That's what happened to David. It's like saying, if a person, a person's mother was working in a carrot patch digging up carrots and she all of a sudden went into labor and had a child just because she had the child in the carrot patch didn't make the child a carrot you see so just because David was born in in the carrot patch of sin didn't make him a sinful carrot he was just born in that environment as we all are and we, we learn how to sin there, there's two philosophies concerning bad behavior in the child. One is that you're bad by nature. Now that's, that's an error. It really is. A child is not naturally evil. The other is that, is that you're evil by nurture. Now that's right. I've had people talk to me about this who believe that you're born in sin. And they said things like, well, well, I know this, this child is sinful because they throw fits. But I'm a parent. And at the time, at that time, I had little little guys when I was talking to a lot of the different religious leaders that felt this way. And I had small children, and I said, I, I don't buy that. My child, I, they say, well, the kid... When they was born, started crying all of a sudden. That means they're they're evil. They're bad. They're 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 angry. They're they're selfish. And I said, no, they're hungry. That's why they're crying. Well, no, they're not always hungry. No, they're not always hungry. Sometimes they're hurting. One of the toughest things for me as a parent was waiting until my kid could talk and let me know what what was hurting them. Some of you are nodding your head, yes. You understand that. We need to know when the child is crying, why they're crying. And if they're hurting and they can tell us, my tooth hurts, my ear hurts, my tummy hurts, that's, we know why they're crying. Now, if we're not careful, we contribute to their throwing of a fit. In other words, they learn how to get our attention by squalling and acting up And at that point, we have to stop that and say, wait, this this is not how you get my attention. Some people don't do that. And so by nurture, we're actually, as adults, training our kids how to be bad. You see what I'm saying? So, as adults, we bring them into our bad environment, and we teach them to be selfish. We teach them to be prideful. We teach them to be angry. We teach them that they can throw a fit and get away with it. We teach them that they can be bad and we'll justify them. And so we bring the child up and nurture them into evil. But they're not born evil. And they're not born in sin. They're born in innocency. And when Jesus is talking about the little children, He's talking about those who are innocent. Now, Let's have another chart. <laughs> I punched the button. Jerry said I, the button wouldn't help. But if I said, okay, I'll do this. So he, he punched the button for me. So here we have this, this doctrine that is uh, typified and taught by a word that's, that's used as an acronym that's called TULIP. A fellow by the name of John Calvin popularized this uh, two or three hundred years ago. And he was in, he was in a, a Dutch environment. He was in Holland. And so they used that term to teach the doctrine that he was teaching. And The doctrine he was teaching was that the child is born in total depravity. Stained with the sin of Adam. And so the word tulip means this. It's, he starts out by saying the child is totally depraved unconditional election means if if he's going to be saved God has already decided from eternity whether or not he'll be lost or saved has nothing to do with the child because all of us are totally depraved those that God has not elected will be lost those whom God has elected will be saved now this may startle you but the majority of the protestant movement will adhere to this they believe it now, the problem with false doctrine is that it leads to bad behavior. If it doesn't lead to that, if, if when you're hearing the gospel of Christ, if it does not make you a better person, it's wrong. It's wrong. Because that's why Jesus died, to make you a better person. So if you hear a doctrine that does not make you a better person, then you're in the wrong place. You need to find a doctrine from the Bible that makes you better daily. Unconditional election. Limited atonement. That means God, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't die for everybody. He just died for those that are destined to be saved. And irresistible grace means that those that are destined to be saved can't keep from it. If you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. So it's not your choice. You either are or you aren't. And then finally, the preservation of the saints means once saved, always saved. You've probably heard that one before. That's That's the conclusion of this doctrine. Now the problem with it is, that it does not make you a better person in the sight of God. What happens in this doctrine is that people who are bad have no incentive to get good, to be better. So you say, well, you need to repent. I can't repent. And so you find all these excuses. The excuses are, well, I I can't help myself. I can't help myself. And so you don't. And you don't step forward and say, I, I believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, because you you, you you blame everything else. Maybe it's my environment. Maybe it's my background. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And so all of a sudden, you're getting all the excuses generated as to why you cannot do what God has asked you to do. There are lots of, lots of problems with this doctrine. Basically, sin is, is a uh, act it's it's a it's an active, vigorous something that we do, not something that falls upon us. It's not passive. All is sin, Paul said, Romans three twenty three. All is sin. So we've all sinned. It, he doesn't say all have sin on their bodies. Sin stains them. He said we've all sinned. We've all done something wrong. Okay, that's that's the case then. A uh, hey, it's not mindlessly applying this to an innocent individual because Jesus said, some of you have not sinned yet. But as you grow into adulthood, you sin. That's why Jesus takes that particular class of individuals and says, these are like me. If you receive this one like me, then you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive my Father. But as you get older, like Nicodemus, Jesus said, hey, you're going to have to start all over again. You've gotten on the wrong path. And how do you do that? He said, well, you, you're born again. The uh, This doctrine develops a, a, a false pride that somehow God li- loves you more than He loves me. He loves you because, well, He just does. And He doesn't like you because... Well, he just doesn't. But that's, that denies, that denies what the Bible says. And the Bible says, God loves us all. God is love. And Jesus loves us all. And Jesus died for all of us. Paul said further in Romans chapter chapter 10, he said, as in Adam, or chapter 5, I mean, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we do die in Adam when we get older. We die because we sin like Adam sinned. But let's just let's just take a verse that will that will put this to bed real quickly, this whole theory. And that verse is in Ezekiel eighteen and verse twenty. And that text says The soul that sins it shall die. The soul that sins it shall die. Then he goes ahead. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. In other words, You can't inherit your father's sin. So whatever your dad did, he's going to give an account for it. Whatever you do, you'll give an account for it. So whatever you do is on you, not on your father. He said, Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. That's a relief to me. Because if my kids are sinning, I'm not guilty. Of course, if I didn't do it right, if I didn't do things right then i I should be guilty found guilty so but i that's my sin, not theirs so they they don't get mine, and I don't get theirs as they get into adulthood. It said the righteous of the right the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. okay now let's get back to our point. Everybody believe that you're a sinner as you get older. And that you're innocent when you're younger? Okay, I'm going to assume that you do. You realize that that, that, that doctrine actually will, will do harm more than good. So let's get back to that point. Jesus took this class of individuals and he said, Okay, uh, here are the little children. They'll inherit the kingdom of God. And there are two reasons why. One is because they are a special type of individual." They, they, I appeal to them. Jesus appeals. We sang the songs. And you've heard it yourself. God loves the little children. All the children. And children love God. They love God. And, and we sing the, the songs when they're little, and we know that Jesus appeals to children. He really does. There's an appeal that he has. And several of these reasons why he appeals to a small child is because Jesus is gentle and he's compassionate. Little children are drawn to gentle people, to kind people. So they're drawn to Jesus. So that tells me that if I'm a little child, if I go back like he told Nicodemus, to do, I will be attracted to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? This is a a condition that we have to reach in order to to be accepted into into his kingdom. Kindness and goodness is attractive to a child. Children love goodness. They do. They have to learn evil. But naturally, they're they're drawn to a gentle mother. They're drawn to a kind father. They're drawn to someone who, who reaches out to them and, and embraces them and says, I, I love you. They're drawn to that sort of individual. Cruelty and callousness will repel the child. Jesus was not cruel. When you get cruel and when you get angry and when you get monstrous to a child, a child is repelled. You frighten them to death. So Jesus actually has an appeal to the child. So that's one reason why he says, The kingdom is made up of little children. Because they like me. They like me. The uh, innocence and trust of a child, however, is easily exploited. You can trick them. You can deceive them. You can make them think something is right that's wrong. And people do that. One of the outstanding examples of this is in the the embodiment of a lady named Ma Barker. She raised all of her kids to be criminals because they thought it was right to rob banks. She deceived them. But you know what Jesus said about deceiving a child? He said in the book of Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, He said, whosoever offends one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better if a millstone, you know what a millstone is? It's a big chunk of rock. It's got a hole in the middle of it where they they pound out the grain and make it into flour. And sometimes they they have a big animal, a donkey or, or ox, walking around in a big circle grinding it grinding the middle, the flour down with another big stone on top of that stone that's rolling over it. Anyway, he said it's better if you tie one of these things around this guy's neck and toss him into the sea than if he should offend one of these little ones. By offending means make them to stumble. Get them on the wrong path. I'm thinking about the small child and I'm thinking, well, Jesus really... Emphasized, and he never—he didn't say anything about anybody else, any other class of people. He didn't—he didn't approve of any other class of people as a, as such, as he did the child. He didn't. He didn't say the—he didn't say anything even about the faithful, because the faithful have to work to get their faith. The little child just starts out that way, and is finally abused, and disillusioned, and becomes a full-grown full-blown sinner. But while they're not that way, when they're growing up, they're, they're appealing to Jesus. He loves them. Jesus loves the little children. Okay. I was looking at Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes. And I'm thinking, you know, most of these Beatitudes apply to the little child. Did you know that? Let's, let's just take a few of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, there's no pride in a small child. They don't have any pride. They haven't accomplished anything. They don't think they're better than anybody else. Matter of fact, they want your approval. They want you to approve of them. They want you to think of them good. good. They they want want to make sure that they do good things so that you're happy with them. Blessed are the meek. Who's meeker than a small child? They're not boisterous, not proud. Blessed are the merciful. I've seen little guys tear up and cry when they see someone kick a cat because they're, 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 they want the little rabbit and they don't want anybody to harm the little rabbit and you don't even tell the child when they see a chicken that they're going to eat him later you don't tell them things like that because the little child is merciful just naturally merciful and they're pure in heart so those are just some of the things about the child the character of the child characteristics But the next thing I want to mention is the fact that the the kingdom of God appeals to the little child because Jesus makes it simple. When you teach a child something, the first thing you ought to teach your child, I know there's not anybody here getting ready to have a small child, a baby. But if you do, if you do know something, what you teach a small child is how to talk. And the first thing you want them to say is, First thing I want to say was, "Daddy." First thing they generally say is "Mama," but then you teach them how to talk. It takes a while, doesn't it? But they're smart and they're they're capable. Their intelligence is high. Their level is high, and they can they can pick up that language. And then they pretty soon they be, begin begin to talk. and You teach them the ABCs, and you teach them math tables and so forth, and they begin to get it. And you start with the simple things. And get more difficult with it. Try to get more difficult with it. So the founding principles of the kingdom of God are simple enough for a child to understand. So simple. Why does the kingdom appeal to a child? And why does a child like the kingdom? Because the first principles are simple. One of the first principles of the kingdom is quit doing things wrong and do something right. Jesus called it repentance. That's what John the Baptist said. He said, Repent. What he's saying is, quit doing wrong things and, and decide you can change your life. Then the next thing he says is, believe in me. You repent, Luke thirteen three, And then you, you believe. That's what Jesus told the apostles to go out and preach. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well then the baptism comes later, comes next. So now then the the simple process is repent. Decide that you're going to quit being mean, being naughty. Repent. And then believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe in him, trust in him, and then be baptized. And baptism is so simple, isn't it? Well think about this a minute. When you're teaching your child something and you're trying to teach them how to do something, what you do is you tell them the story first. Tell them what, we're, what you're talking about. Then you show them. Right? Don't you? Don't you show them? You show them how to spell their name. You show them what the letters are. And then you show them how. And you write it for them. You know what Jesus did? He went to John the Baptist and he said, Baptize me. Well, first of all, John said, be baptized. And then Jesus came along and said, I'll show you how it's done. Do it to me. And John said, wait a minute. You, why, there's no reason to baptize you. And Jesus said, let it be so. Let us fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus was doing was demonstrating what had to be done when he talked about baptism so Jesus was baptized as well as everyone else in Luke chapter 13 verse 3 there are two basic doctrines concerning the kingdom simple enough for a child to understand the one is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind and your soul how tough is that? How hard is that to understand? The second is, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How tough is that? So the principles of the kingdom are so easily understood that the child can grasp it. The child can say, okay, I can understand that. And then when Jesus said, all authority is given unto me, he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absorb all things whatsoever I've taught you. So you get it, and you pass it on. That's the way a child understands things. That's why the kingdom is appealing to the child. That's why Jesus appeals to the child. And then give access to the Spirit of God through the Word. Read the Bible. You know, reading the Bible it's such a simple process and you hear so many stories about children who sit on the laps of their mothers or fathers and hear the word of God read in their hearing and they love it they love to hear the word they love to hear the stories what child does not know something about the ark what child doesn't know about the the uh, children of Israel blowing the trumpets and Jericho falling down What child doesn't know something about Samson and how he brought everything down on the heads of the Philistines? And we know about Moses and the ten plagues. We say, well, these are children's Bible stories. Why do we call them that? Because God made it simple. And it appeals to the child. It appeals to the child. And when you talk to them about Jesus, it is an healing story to the child and that story is told so that we can draw close to god and improve our lives and become like little children that's a feeling john 16 verse 12 jesus said i have a lot of things to say to you but you cannot bear them now because they were little children they need to grow up but anyway, he said, "Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He'll glorify me, for he'll take of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said, he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so as we read the Gospel, and that's the, that's the main thing, when we talk about false doctrine, and the effect false doctrine can have on us. And just measure it this way, my friends. When you, if you think something is false, think, measure it this way. Does that false doctrine diminish you in the sight of God? Does it change you? Does it make you do things you shouldn't do? Or think things you shouldn't think? Or behave in ways that you shouldn't behave? That's the effect of false doctrine. That's why it's damaging to us because it changes us and makes us do things we shouldn't be doing. Now, the things Jesus taught us to do throughout the gospel are things which responsible parents teach their children to do. Did you know that? Responsible parents and responsible aunts and uncles and responsible godfathers and godmothers who who decide that they'll help take care of our kids. will try to do the things and teach the things our children that Jesus taught should be done. Nice things. Things that will improve their lives. Right. We give them that kind of advice. I'm, I'm going to read one text. And in this I want you to think, think, and you might want to turn to it, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 22. Where Jesus through his apostles, through the Holy Spirit, is giving advice to those who are giving advice to adults. And what he's telling them is the same thing. Listen. He's telling them the same thing you would tell your child to do as the child is growing up and coming into society. Here's what he's telling them. He said, Put off concerning the former conversation. Put off the things you've been doing before the old man, the corrupt man, according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying. Isn't that what we tell our kids? Don't lie. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to anybody else. Tell the truth. See, he's actually telling us to do things that we would tell our children to do. To make them better people, he said, "Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Have have some dignity among yourselves. Don't be angry and don't sin. That's what this means. Be angry and sin not. It means don't get angry and don't sin. Yes. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed mad. Don't go to bed angry. Get take care of that thing. Get away from it." Don't give any place to the devil. Don't let the devil get a hold of you. Just say no to drugs is what we tell our kids. Stay away from bad people, bad influences. Make sure the people you associate with are good folks. They have good, decent morals. That's what we tell them. Let him that stole, steal no more. We're telling our kids, don't steal. If you need anything, earn it. Don't take something that doesn't belong to you. Don't steal from your friends. Don't steal from your schoolmates. Don't steal from your employer. Don't steal from your grandmother. Don't steal from your grandfather. Don't steal from people that are susceptible to you because they are kind to you. Don't steal. That's what he's telling us. Don't steal. Let him that stole, quit it. Steal no more. Rather let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good that he may have to give to him that need. So, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I grew up in a part of the country where, where men use pretty bad language at times, but whenever there's a child or a woman around, they, they clean their language up. Now why do you clean your language up around a child? That's what he's saying here. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Quit using bad words. We used to talk about having your mouth washed out with soap if you said some bad words. And that's what he's saying here to us. You want to get your mouth washed out with soap? He said, let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good with use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God where you are, Whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Quit throwing fits. Quit getting angry. Quit doing things like that. Be put away with all malice. Be kind one to another. tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. There's a fellow not uh, too long ago that wrote a little book and said, all that I ever, ever need to know I learned in kindergarten because he learned how to be nice. I, I, you know, when I, I was thinking about this, what, what he's saying, what the apostles are saying and what Jesus was saying and telling us was, be, a, be like a little child. What he's saying to us is Be nice. Be nice. If you are in a church that does not make you a nicer person, you're going to the wrong church. You're going you're you're hearing the wrong things. So the people you're around, if they're religious folks believing in Jesus Christ, they'll te- they'll teach you and show you how to be nice. I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about it for a long time, you can tell. I was thinking about it in terms of what we teach our children. I, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid. and uh, As a Boy Scout, I started out as a Cub Scout, and then I came into Boy Scouts. And I was a Boy Scout for a long time, and I, I took a lot of rising from some of the other kids at school, thinking, you know, what are you, a, a sissy, or this sort of thing. But that's the way people talk about Christians, too. They, they think, well, somebody says, well, this guy thinks he's found Jesus. Really, if, if you've found Jesus or he's found you, he's made you a nicer person. It's not just that people can trust you more because you say that. If you've found the Lord and he's found you, he's made you a different person. He's made what we used to call a silk purse out of a sow's ear. He's made something good out of something bad. And it, that can be seen. But I'm, I'm thinking about scouts now. It's it's common knowledge that we generally as a society want our children to be good. We really do. And we want them to be like Jesus wanted us to be. Really? Isn't that correct? So I, I looked at the Boy Scout. Uh, it's been a long time since I... Thought about the Boy Scout Oath, but I have a great grandchild, grandson, that's just starting out in the Scouts. And I asked him, I said, what, "What's the Scout's Oath?" And and uh, so he was he was telling me what it was, and then he told me what the what the uh, Scout's Law was too, and he named several of them. I, I was thinking, well, that's good because the Scouts actually are teaching basically, or were. Some of the same desires that we have for teaching our children as Christians. Here's what here's what we teach that what we were teaching Scouts. And the Scout oath goes something like this: Boy Scout. On my honor, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. To obey the Scout law, to help the people at all times, help other people at all times keep myself physically strong, mentally awake and morally straight and then, then, the, then the law says this scout is trustworthy, I'm just thinking in terms of what Jesus thought about small children and what we as parents think about small children and what the Bible tells us a small child is like and what we should be like, to be loyal, to be helpful to be friendly, to be courteous to be kind, to be obedient, to be cheerful to be thrifty, to be brave, to be clean, and to be reverent. Doesn't that remind you of the fact that Jesus had that appeal to these children because they were this way? Well, what I'm saying basically is that we are wanting our kids to be what Jesus saw in these small children and what he wants us to be. Amen. Now, I don't want to neglect the Girl Scouts. Because the Girl Scout has, a, has not an oath but a promise. And the Girl Scout promise was my wife was a Girl Scout and she was a Scout leader. And uh, she she took into under her wing some of the little guys, the little girls. Anyway, the, the Girl Scout promise is on my honor. I will try to serve God and my country to help people at all times and to live by the Girl Scout law. And the Girl Scout law is this. I will do my best to be honest and fair, friendly and helpful, considerate and caring, courageous and strong, and responsible for what I say and do, and to respect myself and others, to respect authority, to use resources wisely, to make the world a better place, and to be a sister to my Girl Scout sisters. Okay. So, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. And the little children love Him. The kingdom appeals to the child. Jesus appeals to the child. And the child appeals to Jesus. So what what we're doing is saying this. You need to be in the kingdom. You need to be in the kingdom of Christ. You need to say nice things. You need to do nice things. We need to be good to others. We need to be compassionate. We need to share with others. We need to do our duty. We need to be patient, to be kind, to be truthful, to avoid harshness, and to avoid harming harming other people. To be respectful to our parents, and to our elders, and to authorities, and to teach our children just like God teaches us, and to receive the kingdom as a little child. May God bless you in doing that.